Part two of A Portrait of a Man with Red Hair by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two The Dance Around the Town. Section three. Nine. He went racing through the darkness, the two thoughts changing, mingling, changing incessantly over and over in his brain, that he must catch them at the hotel before they left it, and that he loved, he loved her, he loved her with an intensity that seemed to increase with every step that he ran. In some way, although Dunbar had said so little about her, his picture of her was infinitely clearer and stronger than it had been before he saw her in that small village of hers struggling with that drunken father with insufficient means with the individualities and rebellions of her two brothers who however deeply they loved her and normal boys are not conscious of their deep emotions must have kicked often enough against the limitations of their conditions sneering servants spying neighbours jesting and scornful relations the father in his cups abusing her insulting her and forever complaining and yet she through all of this showing a spirit a hardihood a pluck and he suspected a humour that only this last fatal intercourse with the crispin family had broken down harkness was the american man at his simplest and most idealistic and than this there is nothing simpler and more idealistic in the whole of modern civilization the englishman has too much common sense and too little imagination the frenchman is too mercenary the southern peoples too sensuous to provide the modern quixote in the united states of america to-day there are as many quixotes as there are builders of windmills to be tilted at and that is saying much so that with his idealism his hatred of cruelty and abnormality harkness saw far beyond any personal aggrandizement in this pursuit he was not thinking now of himself at all he had danced himself that night into a new world in the market-place he had to pause for breath he had run all the way down the high street meeting no one as he went he had already had considerable exercise that evening and he was in no very fine condition of training the market-place was quiet enough only a few stragglers about the town hall clock told him it was twenty-eight minutes to eleven he started up the hill he arrived breathless at the hotel gates the sweat pouring down his face he stopped and tried to arrange himself a little it would be a funny thing coming in upon them all with his tie undone and lines of sweat running down his face but after all he could make the dance account for a great deal he pushed his stud through the two ends of his collar and pulled his tie up finding it difficult to use his hands because they were so hot wiped his face with his handkerchief pushed his cap straight on his head his face wore an expression of grim seriousness as though he were indeed st george off to rescue his princess from the dragon his heart gave a jump of relief when he saw that the dragon was still there standing quite unconcernedly in the main hall of the hotel his son and daughter-in-law quietly beside him harkness's first thought at view of him was that dunbar's story was built up of imagination 
the little man was standing a soft felt hat tilted a little on one side of his head a dark thin overcoat covering his evening clothes because his hair was covered and his face shaded there was nothing about him that was at all startling or highly coloured he simply looked to be a nice plump little english gentleman who was waiting a smile on his face for his car to arrive that it might take him home nor was there anything in the least exceptional in the pair that stood beside him the man thin dark immobile the girl her head a little bent a soft white wrap over her shoulders her hands at her side at once it flashed into harkness's brain that all the scene with dunbar had been imagined there had been no feathered duck no melodramatic story of madness and tyranny no tuppence coloured plan for a midnight rescue he was about to drive a mile or two to see some beautiful things to smoke a good cigar and drink some admirable brandy then to retire and sleep the sleep of the divinely worthy the girl raised her head her eyes met his and he knew that whatever else was true or false his love for her was certain and resolved crispin looked extremely pleased to see him he came towards him smiling and holding out his hand why mr harkness this is splendid he said we are just wondering what we should do about you we were giving you up harkness was conscious that in spite of his attempts outside he was still in considerable disorder he fingered his collar nervously i'm, I'm sorry he began but i'm glad that i've caught you after all were the rebels in the town amusing crispin asked harkness had a sudden impulse whence he knew not to make the younger crispin speak why didn't you come down he asked you'd have enjoyed it the man was astonished at being addressed he sprang into sudden life like any jack-in-the-box oh i he said i had to go with my father you know yes to see some old friends he was looking at harkness as though he were wondering why exactly he had done that are you still willing to come and see my few things crispin asked it's only half an hour's drive and my car will bring you back i shall be delighted to come harkness said quickly i would have been deeply disappointed if i had missed you but you must not think of sending me back i shall enjoy the walk greatly why of course not said crispin walk back at that time of the night i couldn't allow it for a moment but i assure you harkness pressed laughing i infinitely prefer it you probably think that americans never move a step unless they have a car to carry them not in my case i won't come if i feel that during every minute that i am with you i am keeping your chauffeur up well well all right said crispin laughing have it your own way you're a very obstinate fellow perhaps you will change your mind when the time really arrives they moved out to the doorway then into the car mrs crispin sat in one corner harkness was about to pull up the seat opposite but crispin said oh no no plenty of room on the back for three of us herrick doesn't mind the other seat he's used to it they sat down harkness between the elder crispin and the girl the night was black beyond their windows crispin pressed the button 
the interior of the car was at once in darkness and instantly the night was no longer black but purple and threaded with wisps of grey lavender that seemed to hold in their spidery filigree all the loaded scent of the summer evening again as the car turned into the long ribbon of the dark road harkness was conscious through the open window of the smell of innumerable roses the late evening smell when the heat of the day is over and the flowers are grateful then a curious thing happened through the darkness harkness felt one of the fingers of crispin's left hand creeping like an insect about his knee they were sitting very closely together inside the car's enclosure harkness was conscious that hester's crispin was pressed almost touching against the corner of the car and although the stuff of her dress touched him he was aware that she was striving desperately that he should not be aware of her proximity and then directly after that of why she was so striving it was because she was shivering shivering in little spasms and tremors that shook her from head to foot and she was wishing that he should not realize this and even as he caught from her the consciousness of her trembling at the same moment he was aware of the pressing of crispin's finger upon his knee he was so close to crispin and his leg was pushed so firmly against crispin's leg that this movement might have been accidental had crispin's whole hand rested there but there was only the finger and soon it began its movement staying for an instant pressing through the cloth on to the bone of the knee then moving very slowly up the thigh the sharp finger-nail suddenly pushing more firmly into the flesh then the finger relaxing again and making only a faint tickling creeping suggestion of a pressure halfway up the thigh it stopped for an instant the whole hand soft warm and boneless rested on the stuff of harkness's trousers then withdrew and the fingers like a cautious animal moved on when harkness was first conscious of this he tried to move his knee but he was so tightly wedged in that he could not stir then he could not move for another reason that he was transfixed with apprehension it was exactly as though a gigantic hand had slipped forward and enclosed him in its grasp congealing him there stiffening him into helpless clay and this was the apprehension of immediate physical pain he had known all his days that he was a coward about physical pain and that was always the form of human experience that he had shrunk from observing compelling himself sometimes because he so deeply hated his cowardice to notice to listen but suffering after these contacts acute physical reactions only once or twice in his life had pain actually come to him he did not mind it so deeply were it part of illness or natural causes but the deliberate anticipation of it the doctors now look out i'm going to hurt the dentist i may give you a twinge for a moment these things froze him with terror during the war when he had offered his service this was the thing that from the clammy darkness of the night leapt out upon him he had done his utmost to serve at the front 
and it was in no way his own fault when he was given clerical work at home he had tried again and again but his poor sight his absurd inside that was always wrong in one fashion or another these things had held him back and behind it all was there not a faint ring of relief something that he dared not face lest it should reveal itself as cowardice there had been times at the dentist's and one operation that operation had been a slight one but it had involved for several weeks the withdrawing of tubes and the probing with bright shining instruments every morning for several hours before this withdrawing and probing he lay panting in bed the beads of sweat gathering on his forehead his hands clutching and unclutching saying to himself that he did not care that he was above it beyond it but closer and closer and closer the animal came and soon he was at his bedside and soon bending over him and soon his claws were upon his flesh and the pain would swoop down like a cry of a discoverer and the voice would be sharper and sharper the determination not to listen not to hear not to feel the weaker and weaker until at length out it would come the defeat the submission the scream for pity the creeping finger upon his knee had the same sudden warning of imminent physical peril the swiftly moving car the silence these things seemed to bear in upon him the urgency of the other that it was no longer any game that he was playing but something of the deadliest earnest once again the soft hand closed upon his thigh then the finger once more like a creeping animal felt its way his body was responsive from head to foot he was all tingling with apprehension his hand resting firmly on his other knee began to tremble why was he in this affair at all if crispin were mad as dunbar declared what was to stop him from taking any revenge he pleased on those who interfered with him the tale was no longer one of pleasant romantic colour the rescuing of a distressed damsel from an enchanted castle but rather something quite real and definite as real as the car in which they were sitting or the clothes that they were wearing he suddenly feeling that he could endure it no longer in another moment he should have cried out aloud jerked his knee upwards the hand vanished and at the same moment crispin's voice said oh, we are almost there we are going through the gates now lamps flashed upon their faces and crispin's eyes seemed to have vanished into his fat white face he had in that sudden illumination the most curious effect of blindness his lids were closed over his eyes lying like little pieces of pale yellow parchment under the faint red eyelashes here we are he cried out you get eric and as harkness stepped out of the car something deep within him whispered i am going to be hurt pain is coming before him swung a cavern of light it swung because on his stepping from the car he was dizzy dizzy with a kind of poignant thick scent in the soul's nostrils deep deep down as though he were at the edge of being spiritually anesthetized 
he paused for a moment looking back into the night piled up behind him then he walked in ten it was an old house the long hall was panelled and hung with the heads of animals a torn banner of faded red and yellow with long tassels of gold hung above the stone fireplace the floor was of stone and some dim rugs of uncertain colour lay like splashes of damp here and there the first thing of which he was aware was that a strong cold draught blew through the hall it seemed to come from a wide oak staircase on his right there were no portraits on the panelled walls the house gave a deep sense of emptiness two japanese servants short slim immobile their hair gleaming black their faces impassive waited the outer door closed the banner fluttered the only movement in the house come in here mr harkness crispin said it is more comfortable his little figure moved forward harkness followed him but he had had one moment with the girl as he entered the hall the two crispins had been for an instant back by the car he had said his lips scarcely moving i gave him the message he is coming and she answered without turning her head or looking at him thank you only as he walked after crispin he wondered whether the japanese could have understood no he was sure that no one could have heard those words but he turned before leaving the hall and he had a strange impression of the bare empty faded place the staircase running darkly up into mystery and the four figures the two servants hester and the younger crispin at that moment immobile waiting as though they were listening and for what the room into which crispin led him was even shabbier than the hall it was a large ugly place with dim cherry-coloured paper and a great glass candelabra suspended from the ceiling the walls had it seemed once been covered with pictures of all shapes and sizes because the wallpaper showed everywhere pale yellow squares and ovals and lozenges of colour where the frames had been the wallpaper had indeed leprosy and although there were still some pictures a large landseer an engraving of a malay a shabby oil painting of a green and windy sea it was these strange seasick evidences of a vanished hand that invaded the air there was very little furniture in the place two shabby armchairs a round shining table a green sofa the draught that had swept the hall crept here now come now gone stealing on hands and feet from corner to corner you see said crispin standing beside the empty fireplace i am here but little i have pulled down the pictures from the walls and then left it all shabby i enjoy the contrast at the far end of the room were long oak cupboards crispin went to them and pulled back the heavy doors and instantly in the shabby place there were blazing such treasures as harkness had never set eyes on before not very many as numbers went some dozen shells and all but gleaming glittering shining flinging out their flashes of purple and amber and gold here crystalline now deeply wine-coloured pink with the petals of the rose white with the purity of the rising moon 
there was jewellery here that seemed to move with its own independent life before harkness's eyes jaipur enamel of transparent red and green lovely patterns with thick long strips of enamel on a ground of bright gold over which while still soft from the furnace an open-work pattern of gold had been pressed large rough turquoises set in silver chinese work of carved ivory and jade cap ornaments exquisitely worked a cap of a chinese emperor with its embroidered gold dragon and its crown of pearls then the inlaid chinese feather work and at the sight of these tears of pleasure came into harkness's eyes cells made as though for cloisonne enamel and into these are daintily affixed tiny fragments of kingfisher feather colors of blue green and mauve here blend and tone one into another miraculously and the effect of all is a glittering sheen of gold and blue there was one tiny fish barely half an inch long and here there were thirty cells on the body each with its separate piece of feather chinese enamel buttons and clasps nail guards beautifully ornamented japanese hair combs marvellously wrought in lacquer horn gold lac on wood wood with ivory appliques and stained ivory then the netskis had anyone in the world such lovely things with the ivory and its color richly toned with age the metal ones showing a glorious patina the sword guards made of various metals and alloys and gold and silver the metal so beautifully finished that it had the rich texture of old lace there was then the renaissance jewellery pieces lying like fragments of sky of peach tree in bloom of cherry and apple a lovely pendant parrot enamelled in natural colours a beautiful ship pendant of venetian workmanship an italian earring formed of a large irregular pear-shaped pearl in a gold setting a cinquecento jewel an emerald lizard set with a baroque pearl holding an emerald in its mouth eighteenth century glory gold studs with little skeletons on silk covered with glass and set in gold initials of fine gold with a ground of plaited hair this edged with blue and covered with faceted glass on crystal and the border of garnets a pair of earrings paintings in gazai mounted in gold a brooch set with garnets a french vinaigrette enamelled in panels of green on a gold and white ground loveliest of anything yet seen a sixteenth-century cameo portrait of lucius varius cut in a dark onyx the enamel was green with little white peas and small diamonds were set in each pod ah this said harkness holding it in his hand this is exquisite but crispin was restless the eyes closed the short body moved to another part of the room leaving all the treasures carelessly exposed behind him that is enough he said oh, enough of those i bore you and now turning aside with a deprecatory childlike smile as though he had been exhibiting his doll's house you must see the prince 
Harkness, turning back to the room, saw it as even shabbier than before. It was lit by candlelight, and in the center of the round shining table there were four tall amber-colored candlesticks that threw around them a flickering color as the draft ruffled their power. To this table Crispin drew two chairs. Then he went to a handsome old oak cabinet carved stiffly with flowers and fruit. He stayed, looking with a long, lingering glance at the drawers, then sharply up at Harkness. Seen there in the mellow light, with the colored glory of the open cabinets dimly shining in the far room, with a pleasant, timid smile that a collector wears when he is approaching his beloved friends, he might have stood to Rembrandt for another Yoncise, short and stumpy though he be. Now, what will you have? Duryea? Whistlers? Little Masters? Marians? Dutch seventeenth century? Caillot? Hollar? What you will? No, you shall have only a few, and those not the most celebrated, but perhaps the best loved. Now, here's for your pleasure. He came to the table, bearing carefully, reverentially, his treasures. He set them down. From one after another he withdrew the paper. There, gleaming between the stiff, white, shining mats, they breathed, they lived, they smiled. There was the Rembrandt landscape with a flock of sheep. There, the Muirhead Bone or Vietto, the Hollar Seasons, Caillot's Passion, Marion's College Henri Quatre, Paul Potter's Two Horses, A Seascape of Zeman, Cotman's Windmill, Bracamon's Teal Alighting, A Seascape of Moreau, and Aldegrever's Labor of Hercules, to close the list. Not more than thirty in all, but living there on the table with their personal glow and spontaneity. He bent over them, caressing them, fondling them, smiling at them. Harkness drew near, and, looking at the tender wistfulness of the two old potter's horses, bravely living out there the last days of their broken, forgotten lives, he felt a sudden friendliness to all the world, a reassurance, a comfort. Those glittering, jeweled things had had at their heart a warning, an alarm. But no one, he was suddenly aware, who cared for these prints could be bad there were no things in the world so kindly so simple so warm in their humanity the little man was near to him he put his hand on his knee they are fine eh they know you recognize you they are alive eh yes said harkness smiling they are the most friendly things in art the door opened and one of the japanese servants came in with liqueurs they were put on the table close to harkness and soon he was drinking the most wonderful brandy that it had ever been his happy fortune to encounter he was warm cosy quite unalarmed the prince smiled at him the dim room received him as a friend crispin was talking leaning back now from the table his fat body hugged up like a cushion into his chair his red hair stood flaming on end harkness was at first only vaguely conscious that crispin was speaking 
then the words began to gather around him to force their way in upon his brain then as the monologue continued his comfort his coziness his sense of security slowly slipped from him his eyes passed from the two horses to the high sharp cliffs of the orvieto to the thick naked hercules of the aldegraver then he was aware that he was frightened as he had been on the road in the hotel in the car then with a flash of awareness like the sharp contact with unexpected steel he was on his guard as though he were standing alone with his back to the wall against an army of terrors and uh, so i like you so much dear mr harkness i feel that i can talk to you freely about these things and that you will understand that has always been my trouble that i have not been understood sufficiently and if now i go my own way and have my own fashion of dealing with life i am sure that it is comprehensible enough i was a very lonely child mr harkness and mocked at by every one who saw me no i've not been understood sufficiently the colour of my hair has been a barrier i realise that i am and always have been absurd in appearance and from the very earliest stage i was aware that i was different from other human beings and must pursue another course from theirs i make no complaint about that but it justifies i think my later conduct here as though some wire had sprung taut inside him he sat forward upright in his chair staring with his little pale eyes at harkness and it was now that harkness was abruptly aware of his conversation i'm not boring you i trust but i've taken a sympathetic liking to you and it may interest you to understand my somewhat unusual philosophy of life my mother died when i was very young my father was a surgeon a very wealthy man money inherited from an uncle he was a strange man a peculiar odd cruel to me very cruel to me he hated the sight of me and told me once that it was a continual temptation to him to lay hands on me and cut my heart out to see in fact whether i had a heart he liked to torment and tease me as indeed did every one else i'm not telling you these things mr harkness to rouse your pity but rather that you should understand exactly the point at which i have arrived yes said harkness dragging his eyes with strange difficulty from the pursed white face the red hair and glancing about the dim faded room and the farther spaces where the jewels flashed in the candlelight many people would have called my father insane did not hesitate to do so he was a large extremely powerful man given to violent tempers but after all what is insanity there are cases many i suppose where the brain breaks down and is unable to perform any longer its ordinary function but in most cases insanity is only the name given by envious persons to those who have strength of character enough to realize their own ideas regardless of public opinion such was my father he cared nothing for public opinion we led a strange life he and i in a big black house in bloomsbury yes black that's how it was 
i went to westminster school and they all mocked me my hair my body my difference yes my difference i was different from them all different from my father different from all the world and i was glad that i was different i hugged my difference different he leant forward tapped harkness's knee with his hand staring into his face different mr harkness different different and the long draughty room echoed different 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 my father beat me one night terribly beat me so that i could not move for pain for no reason simply because he said he wished that i should understand life and first to understand life one must learn to suffer pain and that then if one could suffer pain enough one could be as god perhaps greater than god it was to that night in the bloomsbury house that i owe everything i was fifteen years of age he stripped me naked and made me bleed i was terribly cold and i came in that bare room right into the very heart of life into the heart of the heart where the true meaning is at last revealed and the true meaning he broke off suddenly then whispered do you believe in god mr harkness and the draught went whispering on hands and feet around the room do you believe in god mr harkness yes said harkness yes said crispin in his lovely melodious voice but in a good god a sweet god a kind beneficent god that is no god god is first cruel terrible lashing punishing then when he has punished enough and the victim is in his power bleeding at his feet owning him as lord and master then he bends down and lifts the wounded brow and kisses the torn mouth and in his heart there is a great and mighty triumph even so will i do even so will i be and greater than god himself there was silence in the room then he curled up in his chair as he had done before and went on with his friendly air dear mr harkness it is good indeed of you to listen to me so patiently tell me at once when i bore you my father died when i was seventeen and left me all his wealth he died in a turkish bath very suddenly ill temper with some casual masseur i fancy i realized that i had a power the realization was very satisfactory to me i married and during the three years of my married life i collected most of the things that i've shown you this evening i married a woman whom i was unfortunately unable to make happy she could have been happy i'm sure could she have only understood a little the philosophy that my father had taught me my father was a very remarkable man mr harkness as perhaps you have perceived and he had as i have told you shown me the real meaning of this strange life in which we are forced against our wills to take part it was foolish of my wife not to benefit by this knowledge but she did not and died sooner than i had anticipated leaving me one child a widower's life is not a happy one and you will have undoubtedly perceived how many widowers marry again he paused as though he expected some comment 
so harkness said yes that he had perceived it crispin sat forward looking at him inquisitively and making with his fingers a kind of pattern in the air as though he were tracing there a bar of music yes i did not marry again but rather gave myself up to the continuation of my father's philosophy the philosophy of pain is related to power one might perhaps term it god of whose existence no thinking man can truly permit himself to doubt have you ever thought mr harkness that the whole of his power is derived from the pain that he inflicts upon those less powerful than himself we conceive of him as a beneficent being and from that it follows that he must have determined that pain is from him our greatest beneficence it is plainly for our good that he torments us should not we then in our turn realizing that pain is our greatest happiness seek ourselves for more pain and also teach our fellow human beings that it is only through pain that we can reach the true heart and meaning of life through pain we reach power i test you with pain and as you overcome the pain so do you climb up beside me who have also overcome it and we are in time as gods knowing good and evil a concrete case mr harkness i slash your face with a knife you are so powerful that you take the pain twist it in your hand and throw it away you rise up to me and suddenly i who have inflicted the pain on you love you because you have taken my power over you and used it for your soul's advantage and do i love you because you have slashed my face asked harkness crispin's eyes narrowed he put out his hand and laid it on harkness's knee we would have to see crispin murmured we would have to see i wonder i uh, wonder they were silent harkness's body was cold but the room was very hot the candles seemed to throw out a metallic radiant heat harkness moved his knee it would not do to prove your theory too frequently he said at last no no of course it would not it is you understand only a theory that i have inherited from my father ah oh, yeah, yes but i will confess that when an individuality comes close to me and remains entirely outside my influence i am tempted to wonder well to speculate i like to see how far one personality will surrender to another it is interesting simply as a speculation for instance you have noticed my daughter-in-law yes said harkness i have a charming girl charming exactly but independent refusing to make the most of the advantages that are open to her like my poor late wife for instance unfortunate because she is young and might benefit so much from my older and more experienced brain but she refuses to come under my influence remains severely outside it now my son is almost too willing to understand my meaning were i to plunge a knife into his arm no blood would flow i am speaking metaphorically of course after a very slight training in his early youth he was all that i could wish but too submissive oh yes altogether too submissive 
his wife's independence however is quite of another kind it might almost seem as though during these last weeks she had taken a dislike both to myself and my son however she is very young and a little time will alter that i have no doubt especially as we shall be in foreign countries and to some extent alone by ourselves harkness pressed his hands tightly together a little shiver ran as though it responded to the draught that blew through the room up and down his body he was anxious that crispin should not notice that he was shivering have you any idea where you will go he asked and his voice sounded strangely unlike his own as though some third person were in the room and speaking just behind him oh we have no idea said crispin smiling that will depend on many things on mrs crispin herself of course amongst others a young wife must not show too complete an independence after all there are others whose feelings must be considered he was smiling as it were to himself and as though his thoughts were pleasant ones suddenly he sprang up and began to walk the room the effect on harkness was strange it was as though he were suddenly shut in there with an animal so often in zoological gardens he had seen that haunting monotonous movement that encounter with the bars of the cage and the indifferent acceptance of their inevitability indifferent only because of endless repetition crispin padding now up and down the long room reminded harkness of one of the smaller animals the little jaguars the half wolf half fox his head forward his hands crossed behind his short thick back his eyes restless now moving here there about the room his movements soft almost furtive every instinct towards escape as he moved in the room half clouded with light the soft resolute step pervaded harkness's sense and soon the thick confined scent of a caged animal seemed to creep up to his nostrils and linger there furry captive danger hanging behind the plodding step so that if a sudden release were to come and he sat there fixed in his seat as though nailed to it while the sweet voice continued and so my dear mr harkness i have devoted my later years to the solution of this problem i feel if i may say so without too much arrogance that i am intending to help poor human nature along the road to a better understanding of life poor muddled human nature defeated always by fear yes fear and if they have surmounted pain and stand with their foot on its body what remains it is gone vanished i myself am increasing my power every day first one then another first through pain then through love i love all the world yes everything in it but first it must be taught and it is so reluctant so strangely reluctant to receive its teaching and i myself suffer because i am too tender-hearted i should myself be superior to the suffering of others because i know how good it is for them to suffer but i am not 
alas no it is only where my indignation is aroused and aroused justly that i can conquer my tenderness and then well then i can make my important experiments my daughter-in-law for instance he paused not far from harkness and once again his hands made a curious motion in the air as though he were transcribing a bar of music he stepped close to harkness his breath scented curiously with a faint odour of orange was in harkness's face he leaned forward his hands were on harkness's shoulders for instance i have taken a fancy to you my friend a real fancy i liked you from the first moment that i saw you i don't know when so suddenly i've taken a fancy to any one but to care for you deeply first yes first i would show you the meaning of pain here his body suddenly quivered from the feet to the head and i could not liking you so much do that unless you were seriously to annoy me interfere in any way with my simple plans the hands pressed deeply into the shoulders yes only then could we come really to know one another after such a crisis what friends we might be sharing our power together what friends dear me dear me he moved away turning to the table looking down on the prints that were spread out there yes yes i could show you then my power his voice vibrated with sudden excitement you think me absurd oh yes yes you do you do don't deny it now as though i couldn't perceive it do you think me so stupid absurd with my ridiculous hair my ugly body oh i know you can't hide it from me you laugh like the rest secretly you laugh you are smiling behind your hand well smile then but how foolish of you to be so taken in by physical appearances do you know my power do you know what i could do to you now by merely clapping my hands if my fingers were at your throat at your breast and you could not move but must wait my wish my plan for you would you think me then so absurd my figure my hair ridiculous you would be as though in the hands of a god i should be as a god to you to do with you what i wished what is there that is so beautiful that i ugly as i am cannot do as i wish with it this suddenly he took up the orvieto and held it forward under the candlelight this is one of the most beautiful things of its kind that man has ever made and i uh, am i not one of the ugliest human beings at whom men laugh well would you see my power over it i have it in my hands it is mine it is mine i can destroy it in an instant the beautiful thing shook in his hand to harkness it seemed suddenly to be endued with a human vitality he saw it the high sharp razor-edged rocks the town so confidingly resting on that strength all the daily life at the foot the oxen the peasants the lovely flame-like trees the shining reaches of valley beyond all radiating the heat of that italian summer he sprang to his feet oh, don't touch it he cried leave it leave it crispin tore it into a thousand pieces 
wrenching it snapping at it with his fingers like an animal the pieces flaked the air a white shower circled in the candlelight then scattered about the table about the floor something died a clock somewhere struck half-past twelve crispin moved from the table very gently almost beseechingly he looked into harkness's face forgive me my little game he said it is all part of my theory to be above these things you know what would happen to me if i surrendered to all that beauty the eyes that looked into harkness's face were pathetic caged wistful longing and they were mad somewhere deep within him his soul caught in the wreckage of his bodily life like a human being penned beneath a ruined train besought yes besought harkness for deliverance but he had no thought at that moment of anything but his own escape to flee from that room from that room at any cost he said something crispin did not try to keep him they moved together into the hall and you won't allow my chauffeur to drive you back no no thank you i, I shall love the walk well well it has been delightful we shall meet some day again i have no doubt silence flooded the house once more harkness's hand touched that other soft one the door was open the lovely night air brushed his face and he had stepped into the dim star-drenched garden the door closed end of part two section three